I am so excited. One of my favorite comedians in the world, in the galaxy, is with us today. Have you Mar- seen every comedian in the galaxy? You know that you I can- do. I have seen every comedian in the galaxy. And Marina Franklin's here. Marina, how's it going? I, I feel so great right now that you said I am your favorite comedian in the world. And that galaxy. includes everyone. Yeah, galaxy. I said the galaxy. galaxy. It's a oh big my god! And he's there. into Martian Comedy. humor. Yeah. yeah, that's even a small part of the galaxy too. It's just that that's mm. right around the corner. Oh, that's not our galaxy? That's our galaxy, but it's still just right here. Oh, you're saying that's like New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Marina has... I I've, love when you guys do this, by the way. I just yeah. have to say, I listened to a couple of episodes. This moment is wonderful. You know, we completely <laughs> dislike each other. We never speak outside of here. Like, we... He can't stand me. I'm okay with him, but he can't stand me in general. <laughs> but we will play back Emin after this, after this show. But... Marina has, in addition to being doing stand-up everywhere, and you can find her on YouTube everywhere, and I highly recommend just Google or YouTube Marina Franklin. It's good to have a name that's spellable, but yes. is it, it's also not great to have a name that's common-ish. How does your name work on, on the web, generally? What? If people look for you, Marina Franklin. They find it. Find it. It comes right up, yeah, because I've done so many things. She, uh, she jokes about <laughs> her joking. name. I'm so joking. Yeah, it's, it's one like of my main extra. jokes. So James knows you and your work better than I do. Can we just have like a proper introduction? Just tell us a little bit about yourself in approximately three to six minutes. And we'll interrupt a lot. So it'll take like 20 and then we won't even get to it. <laughs> but I just want to know you. Okay. You just seem, I- I've seen you perform once. I didn't know I was going to see you. And I thought you were great. Thank but you. I, and you've I, seen her live. I saw you live. I've never seen her live. Really? Oh, well, other than on But my when podcast. you came on that night, I thought, holy sh- it's Marina Frank because James has been talking about how much he loves you. And then I thought you were fantastic. It was at the Gotham Comedy Club. Right, right? before Jerry Seinfeld. Right before right? Jerry Seinfeld. Thank God I went yeah. up before. I was thinking somebody did have to come up after. Yeah. Did you know who that was? I can't remember now. I can't remember. Not fun. Actually, wait, wait, why is that? Why well, why wouldn't it be fun? Like everybody, the crowd's all laughing. Jerry Seinfeld just warmed up the crowd for you. Is it bad? Well, it's only bad in the way if you have somewhere to go, <laughs> for me. It's not bad as far as, if I was a newer comic, yes. It would be nervous. I would be nervous. I would have a lot of anxiety about if the audience is expecting me to be on the same level as Jerry Seinfeld. So that can be scary. Yes, true. What would it do to your self-confidence? Like, you, like let's say, I don't know how, I, I assume in the work that you do, it works similar to, the work that everybody does, which is sometimes you're feeling really confident about your skills and you think like, I'm pretty good. I've worked hard. And then you can be exactly the same person with the same skills, but something happens. This happened last night. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Do you want to tell? So following celebrities actually don't bother me anymore because the audience is so happy that they just saw someone like Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock that they give you like they're happy. Leftover they're, love. They're in good. They're in a good mood. Mm. I like that leftover love. Yeah, I need some of that. You can have all of mine. James. Leftover love is good. Yeah. Really? How's that better than sloppy seconds? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you put it that way. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. Um, you guys are so tangent. cute. I can't. <laughs> We're very um, cute. What was it's I? True. You had a little crisis of confidence oh, last I night. Did well. It was also because I was. I've been. I was on vacation. I took the first vacation of my life, and then really. Ever, yeah, like where I wasn't because artists don't take vacations. Comedians usually go places to work, and mm. when they're nice, they'll package it like 
hey, it's the Caribbean, and it's nice, and you can do your set, and we're going to pay you $300, <laughs> and you f- fly yourself there. And you're like, yeah. Plus $800 to get there, though. And you're like, what? Okay, so basically, I'm off from vacation, and I'm in vacation brain kind of on stage, but I'm having a good time. I've had t- This is my third set back. The two sets, wonderful, because I it feels new to me again. This mm. is the third set, and I'm feeling that same feeling of wonderful, and mm. I'm doing a lot of new material. And it's working. And all of a sudden, I see a guy's face, not laughing, Ugh. not smiling, judgmental, well-lit. <laughs> and that was it? He was the only one that was that lit. You just And he just took the air out of your... Uh, oh, and I tried everything and i even felt the audience's laugh like diminish cuz they felt it they could uh. they could cuz my face shows everything so i didn't acknowledge him because he was kind of far back like this the way the club it's the cellar the way the club is it's like he's kind of near the bathroom so to go to him would be weird cuz the audience was having such a good time that they would be like what is she talking about why is she you know so i tried to look to the right of the room so I was performing to the right side too much. And I said, okay, yeah. you got to kind of work your way back. And comics do this. They'll check to see if that person who was judgmental is now laughing was not. He had not, he had not changed his face, his judgment, the, the, the hand underneath the chin. He was so angry, I think. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's but a thing. You this- have no idea. I mean, he might be thinking his dog might have cancer. But why then? Then why would he go to a comedy club that night to cheer himself up? And it just oh, wasn't working. Well, it, and now he's sad about his dog dying. So it could have had nothing to do with you. But, but we I, never know. But we never know. That's the thing. And I go through a uh, psychological journey, like I just did, while I'm actually yeah, talking on that, stage with new material, which is harder. Which is harder because Colin Quinn actually said this, and it, it freed me. This week, he said, the only way you know about new jokes is you have to do it. There's no other way. You can't just sit and write at home and then figure it out. You have to go on stage and do it. Well, is that true? Do you, when you write a new joke, do you know enough that you're kind of laughing at it when you write it? Like, do you know a little bit, like, this is, you have an instinct now. This is good. This is not so good. I have a better instinct, but some of the things that I know are funny aren't always funny right off. The, Mm. The good stuff has a deeper meaning to it and is not always funny right off the bat, honestly. So you figure out like the nuances on the stage, like the timing and all that. And I'm very conversational and I want it, I don't want it to look like I'm telling a joke. I want it, you to forget that I'm telling a joke. So yeah, that comes from me really doing it on stage and it's a painful, slow <laughs> process. So I was feeling so good and then I saw that face and then I was like, "What? Why can't I focus?" And I said, "Do the joke." And I, I, I just lost it. I couldn't really uh, finish the joke. I bailed. And then I went into my old material, and I hated myself. And then I went upstairs and I spoke to Greer Barnes about it. I said, "What is that? Does does it affect you?" And he goes, "Absolutely. You see that? We always see that one face that doesn't like us, and we go right to it." See, see, we were talking about this actually right before. No matter what, the haters outweigh. See, but I think that I think ugly is in the eye of the beholder. I really do. I think it's really if you're a forget about a performer, anyone, if you're creating anything, which everybody is, you just cannot allow the negative judgment to, of course, if it's valuable feedback, of course, it's worth considering, but you can't allow that because the only 
Look, if you're lucky, you have a few people in your life who can be really constructive in helping you create what you're trying to create. But really, at the end of the day, it's you and you and you. Easier said than done, by the way, because I I really usually, and I mean this, I've been doing comedy for 20 years. I go through a lot of phases of, I don't care. I'm going to do this. You either like it or you don't. And And I was doing that all week, okay? Like, I really didn't care. If they if they didn't get it, they weren't gonna get yeah. it. I'm gonna try this, and it was like you either like me or you don't like me, and that's the best place to be. Do you think this guy getting into your head had anything to do with your head being in a different place because you were on vacation, or no relationship to that? I I don't. That's why I was confused because I was having so much fun, right? And it threw me, and I had to ask other people, "Does this affect you?" But let me ask you this: Why, why in a case like that, or whenever you're performing? And I would say the same to you, James, because, you know, you talk about the haters. And, I mean, if you do anything public ever, that's what happens. And also, the haters, while they may be one-tenth of one percent or maybe even ten percent, whatever, they're way noisier than the rest. And so it's very easy to think that that represents the whole flow. But why, when the numbers are so much in your favor, so you're at a club, you're performing, you're doing well, most people are liking it either fine or a lot. Why do you think, Marina, that you make that anomalous one represent the reality in your head? I know. It's such a good question. I I, uh, I don't know. I think it, it stems from childhood, possibly. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, as a comedian, the thing that brings us joy is seeing someone laugh. So when you see someone not enjoying themselves, it's like, ah, oh, it hurts. It actually mm-hmm. does affect you uh in a deep way and it's it you really do want to get the entire room here's what i would ask both of you though and look i and everyone struggles with it too it's not i'm not saying i'm immune i'm not saying anyone's immune and it's a lot easier when you hear about it from someone else because i've been there you know giving a talk or doing an interview whatever um and you know have felt the same impulse but then the way i f- try to fight the impulse is say wait a minute wait a minute we're talking about one whether it's 1%, whether it's 1 out of 10 people, 10%, the math just tells me that I'm doing great. But if 9 out of 10 people, if I'm speaking to 1,000 people and 900 of them are sleeping, okay, that's pretty good feedback that I'm doing a terrible job. See, here's the thing. That whole conversation was going on in my head (laughs) while I'm on stage. You're thinking 900 (laughs) are sleeping. So it's messing with my timing, man. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're right. All of that was like rationalization was going on. Like, Marina, why are you even messing with this guy? And I'm t- I'm doing a joke about dating. And, you know, and, and so sometimes what happens is a comic will just address that person. And I... I what do you mean? Like, what, what, what would you say to him? I've never... I've... I will. I couldn't do it. I was like, I'm not prepared to hear his response. <laughs> I'm too messed up by his face. What, is, what would someone say though? Would someone say, "Sir, it seems like you're not having a fun time." Yeah, Are someone you? would say, "I know I'm funny. This guy, what, what's your posture about? What's the matter? What happened?" Like, and then would, what if he says, "And my dog has cancer." What do you do then? Or my child? What oh, do you do well, then? Well, then you have That's to have it. a really quick, good comeback. Like, well, at least you got rid of one problem, or you know, <laughs> something. You know, I mean. I've been at the cellar. There's been most of the time it's pretty fun and normal, but every now and then you have that night where there's an audience member that has gone through some. I saw an audience member throw a glass at Dave Attell, and it was because his uncle had just passed away. Huh. No other reason. 
no other reason. At a comedy show, just decided, I'm going to throw a glass at the comic's head. Mm. Hit the back wall. But it's like, okay. So you can't really control what's going on in the room all the so time. So this was last night? This was last night. I just wish he wasn't well lit. If he wasn't... Yeah. Well, you wouldn't I, have noticed him, I considered probably. talking to the owner about, can you not light that table as much? That could be a good thing to say right in the middle of the set, right? Like, just, hey, turn down the lights there. <laughs> that would be... That would be so funny. Like, no one would know why you were doing that. Just, like, that light is bothering me. Yeah, yeah. After a quick break, we'll get back to our regularly scheduled programming. Hey, Question of the Day listeners, our good friend and one-time guest co-host Tim Ferriss has decided to sponsor this episode of Question of the Day. Specifically, we are talking about Tim's excellent and aptly named podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show, which, among other things, landed on iTunes' Best of 2015 podcast list. So congratulations, Tim. The Tim Ferriss Show has been downloaded more than 80 million times and has more than 2,500 five-star reviews. So Tim is either an incredibly savvy marketer, or people genuinely like listening to his conversations. In each episode, Tim deconstructs world-class performers from every walk of life, business, sports, art, investing, and more, to find the tools, tactics, and routines that you can use. Favorite books? Check. Morning routines? Check. And that is just the beginning. Past guests include Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Foxx, Laird Hamilton, and serial billionaire Peter Thiel. You can also listen to episodes number 162 and number 7 to hear his conversations with me, and you can listen to number 18 to hear his interview with James Altucher. The stories are captivating, and the lessons will help you upgrade your life. So go subscribe, rate, and listen to Tim Ferriss' show. How do you get to his site? Simple. You visit 4hourworkweek.com slash Tim. That's 4hourworkweek.com. 4 hours, F-O-U-R-H-O-U-R. 4hourworkweek.com slash Tim. Can I ask you, though, I really do, for this first episode, so we're going to have you for a couple, I do just want to know you a little bit more. You're from Chicago. I am from Chicago. I grew up in Chicago. I grew up in uh, Highland Park, Mm -hmm. which James knows that's why. You know, the <laughs> uh, all, he asked me why I was the only black girl on the show with women who kill, and they're all Jewish. Mm. And I'm like, my dad was like insistent on me going to school with kids that were Jewish. I it's it was something I found out when my dad passed away that he was uh, he had a lot of Jewish friends in high school who kind of groomed him for business. Hmm. So he what felt, kind of businesses? Did wait, wait, you you're do? you're part Jewish. Aren't well, that that was like we don't re- that we don't really know, but yeah, you could be. There's you could my, be experiencing the Jewish experience in the United States. Well, my grandmother was. I apparently did feel half. a certain something with you and me when you walked in. A certain <laughs> Jewish connection. Like, really? Say. She no, kind of rules no. the world like with us a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love Jewish men a lot. But there so what happened was I did. So I did grow up at Highland Park till I was about nine. And then um, my mom and my father got divorced. She moved to the south side of Chicago. And that was traumatic because it was uh, that part of the south side of Chicago, the school I went to was was like economically poor. So uh, not good. Uh, you know, because I went from an all-white neighborhood to all-black neighborhood. So 
And and you have this great joke in in a lot of your stand up. Uh, how you could, you could speak? You were bilingual. <laughs> yes, yes, I can do both. Um, what are you doing right now? Right now, I'm doing. This is like, yeah, this is me. <laughs> this is in the middle. This is like, you know, if if you guys are black, I'd be like, oh, girl, come on. But <laughs> I don't you get do, girls. I don't do it that well. Yeah. Oh, real? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because so. you're out of shape, out of practice with it. Uh, you have to you go out with somebody to really. Learn I didn't know. I had other people tell me not to do it. Are they I, white people or black people? Black people tell me because, like, you you just can't carry it off. They thought they said it sounded funny. <laughs> you didn't have the the accent was wrong. They um, were like, "Don't do your black voice is not working." For wait, us. I want to. What kind of business did your dad do? You said that. Well, so he worked in a travel agency. He owned a travel agency in the, in, um, the John Hancock building, mm. the tallest you know, floor or whatever. Um, very successful for a while, and then it crashed during the storm, the blizzard of 78, which, by the mm. way, I said that to Jim Norton. He goes, who says things like that? And I go, <laughs> well, I do, because <laughs> that's what happened. He goes, really, Marina, the storm of 78? <laughs> I go, but yes, and I'm, so I'm older than I look. So then, so that happened, and uh, that tore up their relate, and then he moved. The, he was gone, missing for a while, and then um, yeah. Hey, what do you mean? He disappeared in the in the blizzard. No, no after, his after his business crash, he disappeared. How long was it until you saw him again? Three years, maybe, and then he came back in and very successful again. Had another business hmm. partner, started a travel agency up again. Wow! Until I was about into college. And my dad lived on the north side of Chicago, like Clark and Diversey, and my mom had moved out to the suburbs. Um, and so I would go every weekend, every other weekend, I would go onto the north side of Chicago, hang out with my dad for the big life, mm-hmm. in the restaurants, and the, you know, he was very like, you know, everywhere he went, people knew him. People thought my dad was a big deal. I didn't, I didn't really understand it, what was going on, but... Um, yeah, and I would go back out to the suburbs and have like a normal, like the suburban kids would be like, "You go to the city." <laughs> <laughs> when did you become? You go a, downtown. When did you become a comic? So I became a comic right after I left Syracuse, where I went to graduate school because I actually did theater for a long time. Did you think you'd become an actor rather than a comic for a long time? Yeah, I always had insecurities about the acting thing. I always mm. felt like I wasn't sharing as much as I could. Um, you said before, I don't mean to analyze you here, although it's oh fun. No, I like it, when actually. you analyze me. It's really before interesting. Before you said when you were talking about why you let this one jerk at the club get to you, and you said, or how you lose, how you might lose confidence in a way, and you said you think it goes back something to your childhood. Now you're going kind of down a similar path. What was it about your childhood or your family or just being human that you think doesn't, you know, that ta- that robs your confidence? And again, I have a feeling everybody listening to this has a, a shining example in their own lives. It's not like that's, um, you know, unique to you. Growing up the way I did, going from Highland Park to the south side of Chicago, and then also, by the way, to the suburbs, which is middle class. Mm-hmm. So you don't go from wealthy to poor to middle class and come out okay. Mm. And I think that it's like you're a chameleon for that situation. I always was trying to be liked. So I would try to be sort of what I was in. So (laughs) when I moved to the south side of Chicago, I tried to be blacker Mm -hmm. than I was because I wanted to play, you know? And so I would do what I thought was 
a black voice or I would, I'd be like, ain't nobody going to, it was horrible. <laughs> it was so, I don't even want to do it. So, <laughs> so being, um, I guess, liked in those mm-hmm. situations was very important. And if I was like, I would do it by humor and um, it made me feel better, you know? So I, I, I'm analyzing myself right now as I'm doing it, but I'm thinking that that's most likely what that was. Was it about, I mean, I believe you entirely when you say it was about being liked, you're getting approval, and again, that's a, that's a human trait. Everybody does stuff that sometimes they later regret or laugh about or whatever. But do you think it was also partly because you didn't have one locus that you felt like this is where I belong and this is where I am? Was it like unsettling to kind of keep shape-shifting a little bit? I don't know, because I was a kid. I mean, I I think that it was had to be unsettling. Uh, I talk about it, and I go to therapy, so I talk about it a lot. Um, but my therapist always says— Is it helpful? Do you think it helps you? It, yeah. Yeah? I mean, I think— I mean, do you have the counterfactual? Did you ever not go for a long time? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't. And you're, better, you're a better person when you're in therapy. Absolutely, because it brings awareness to these situations. Like, the fact that I can even talk about it right now is because of therapy. I Maybe probably, podcasts are better than therapy, though. It's so much cheaper. Well, you're good. But you don't always have people like you who are asking these questions. You're welcome very he much, is, then. Stephen <laughs> is my therapist, so. <laughs> I'm curious because, like, I hear, I hear similar stories from the two of you. I, I, again, I'm not saying I have any less bl- fill-in-the-blank than anyone. I, I, I'm sure I have as much, if not more. But like, James, you had like your child, like it seems that there are um, at least two basic kinds of childhoods. Childhood? Childhoods. Ones where people are just kind of going along, understanding that they're in an environment that's either good or bad, and they're going through it, and they're a passenger on a train, and then they emerge, and they're the person they are. And then there's a one where you're sitting there kind of every minute or so trying to figure out, what am I? How do I fit into this? What am I trying to make of this? Like, this is not working, so how do I make that work? And it's kind of a striver thing, which is awesome, but it's also unsettling. And I I don't know if... You two really have that in common, but it strikes me at the moment that perhaps you do. Don't you think every teenager a little bit goes through that? Because suddenly you change, and like every insecurity you have ex- expands. I don't to fill a lo- entire brain. I don't. I think that if you're the kind of person, look, I think this goes for any kind of person: comic, a writer, a Republican, a Democrat, whatever you are. We all tend to kind of find our silos. I like how those are your four categories. Sorry, yeah, that was <laughs> that, that's how we divide the mind. world up. But anyway, I don't think that's true. I think that because we tend to feel comfortable with people who have some kind of experience or outlook that is like our own, that we then live in that silo. And we assume that that's a that's a the common experience, and I don't, I don't think that's the case at all. I think we're gra- we gravitate toward people with whom we we share that kind of you know developmental process or developmental experience, mm. and then we tend to think, well, that's the way the world is. But I think there are plenty of people who come into adulthood with much having thought much less about who they are. And why it matters. And I'm not saying it's better, it's worse, but I, it's different. Hmm. That's all I got to say. Well, do you think you'll be ready tonight after last night's well, experience? All, after all of this, I don't know. Now you can say what to can yourself, we, ah, can it we... doesn't really matter. It's just one out of nine. Well, it's usually like the moment I hit the stage, the, the, the audience being good will just erase it. 
That's why sometimes the last set before a vacation is so important. Mm. Well, let me ask you this. You, what do you do to like, like for before tonight, what will you do to hype yourself up or prime yourself before the first performance? Do you like jump on a trampoline? What, what do you do to get all positive? Uh-oh. can tell by the <laughs> just, pause that there's something just funky be going honest. on it's, here. It only stays between the three no, of us. No, no, I don't <laughs> mind saying this, but it's going to, you know. I, I usually, I work out high. <laughs> you work out high? Yes, I, I go can't run. can't believe you just said that on national podcasting You work out, what kind TV. of working out high? <laughs> I run through Central Park high. <laughs> it's <laughs> so much it? fun. It wow. does. It's like my meditation. I, I'll, I walk from... Through the park till I get to the reservoir. I'm pretty high until I get to the reservoir. Then I stretch, and then hopefully the, I'm not as high before I run. Hopefully, and then I run around the whole reservoir on the outside of it. Will you run then to the cellar or take? Ta- no, I go home. I shower and then I go. Yeah. Okay, and, then and hopefully have- it's gone. Uh-huh. Uh, one time I did actually go on stage, and I, I even told the audience. I said, usually I, I got to tell you, I get high before I run. Usually it's gone. Sorry, it's still here. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that set go? That was hilarious. They oh, it was so <laughs> much fun. Maybe you should do that more often. Yeah, maybe I lost it. I you know what? I think that happened uh, for the two sets after my vacation. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's I don't know. It's just good for me. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. In a moment, you'll hear a sample of our next exciting episode. But first, thanks again to our friend and colleague Tim Ferriss and his podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show, for sponsoring this episode of Question of the Day. The Tim Ferriss Show is a top-rated, entertaining, and interesting interview show in which he deconstructs world-class performers from every walk of life, business, sports, art, investing, and more, to find the tools, tactics, and routines that you can use. You can listen to episodes number 162, number 18, and number 7 to hear Tim's conversation with James or me, and more than 150 more episodes featuring people who are not James or me. The stories are captivating and the lessons will help you upgrade your life. How do you get to Tim's site? It's pretty simple. You go to fourhourworkweek.com slash Tim. That's fourhourworkweek, F-O-U-R-H-O-U-R, workweek.com forward slash T-I-M. Here's what we have lined up for the next episode of Question of the Day. So do you think that selfies, which are annoying, by the way, actually cause weight awareness? Weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. Yes. Oh, you spelled it right. Yes. 